0: Today my friends we continue in a sermon series that we began at the start of the summer talking about what it means for our church to be the place where Christ makes his home based off of that famous sermon by Robert Munger where he talks about what it means to make our hearts where Christ calls home Today we are going to be talking about family family rituals what are the things that we pass down from one another and what purpose do they serve when we come to the scripture passage that I'm about to read, it's verses 37 through 42. This is right after the Pentecost, that very first time that the Holy Spirit has descended upon the people. And Peter is responding to accusations that he and his friends, because they are speaking in tongues, are somehow drunk. And so he gives this long defense, which really some refer to as a speech. And then it's right at the end of that speech that we pick up with our, our scripture passage for today. So this is Acts 2, verses 37 through 42. It says, Now when they heard this, this is the crowds, when they heard what Peter had said, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day, about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me as we pray. God, it is for your wisdom that we pray, it is for your voice to speak truth to our hearts. And to compel us, as you have compelled so many over the centuries that your truth has been made known. Thank you for meeting us today. May we walk with you today and each day ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Are you in or are you out? When this girl had asked me the question, I had no clue what she was talking about. It was summer, I was around 16 years old. A group of my friends and I had driven down to Huntington Beach and set up our towels on the sand as close to the water's edge as we could get without getting wet. I had been lying on my towel, fooling myself into believing that I was capable of getting a tan, when a group of three girls about our age walked over to us, casting their shadows between us and the sun. We're taking a survey. One of the girls said, with a really big smile, do you mind if we ask you some questions? Confused, my friends and I looked at one another and sort of shrugged and agreed to take their survey. Did we like pizza or burgers? Did we like oceans or mountains? Did we like rock music or rap music? Nothing that they were asking us was very deep. So when she asked their final question, it sort of caught us off guard. Are you in or are you out? The look of confusion on my face must have given something away because she followed up with saying, I mean, are you going to heaven or not? Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Our response that day was a little less enthusiastic than the crowd's response to Peter in our scripture for today. My friend Lisa, she must have seen this question coming because she replied with a nonchalant, we sure do, and waved her hand with such a dismissive flair that those girls walked away only seconds later. I felt bad that those girls didn't have the moment that they had wanted to have with us. But I felt bad for us, too, because nothing casts a shadow over a summer trip to the beach like harboring a vague concern about spending eternity in hell. Why was it that the 3,000 people responded joyfully to Peter talking about Jesus Christ that first Pentecost day, but the three of us on the beach were left feeling ashamed and doubting Jesus' goodness? Why is it that when we read the New Testament accounts about Jesus and about people speaking about Jesus, We see hundreds and then thousands of people responding to Jesus in joy. But in the church in America today, we are met with declining numbers and increasing cynicism and anger toward the Christian message. Late Austrian preacher Hans-Peter Royer used to like to point out that in our scripture passage for today, Peter wasn't intending to convert thousands of people. He was really just defending himself and his friends from the accusation that they were drunk at nine o'clock in the morning. So what was it about Peter that evoked a joy in Jesus that was so irresistible even when he was speaking about something completely different, even when he was intending to defend himself? I believe that part of the answer to that question is in our scripture passage for today, namely in answering that first question, who's in and who's out? After Peter issues his defense of the Holy Spirit to the crowds, our passage today reports that the crowds were cut to the quick. They were so struck by the story of Jesus that they were unsure as to how to respond. They ask Peter and the disciples, well, so now what do we do? To which Peter replies saying, change your life. Turn to God and be baptized. Each of you in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins are forgiven. He says, the promise is meant for you and your children, but also for all who are far away. Whomever, in fact, our master God chooses to invite See, in Peter's understanding, who is in and who is out is a temporary state because everyone is invited in. In Peter's understanding, it doesn't matter if we are so close to the good news that we can touch it or if we are so far away that we are only distant specks on the horizon. We are all invited to share in that life of Christ through the waters of baptism and through the breaking of bread. In Peter's understanding, no one needs to be out. Everyone is worthy of the rituals of faith, and anyone can be trusted with the precious heirlooms of our traditions. For us who are Christians— the rituals and the heirlooms of our faith, they are the sacraments. They're baptism over here. They're meeting at the Lord's table over here. We call them the signs and seals of our faith in the Presbyterian tradition. They are living demonstrations enacted by a worshiping community that is not bound by time or by location, but is only bound by the uniting spirit of Jesus Christ. Even though Peter called people to baptism from far away, the church has gone on since to bicker a little bit over who is in and who is out regarding these sacraments. It's one of the many reasons why we have so many denominations and separations within the Christian church. In fact, this question about who is in and who is out in regard to the sacraments, made it into our national news this week. This week, the U.S. Catholic bishops drafted a document on the meaning of the Eucharist of the Lord's Table and, as a method for pressuring the president's president's political views, considered barring politicians who are pro-choice from coming to the table. The plan was met with fury by Catholics and non-Catholics alike. Critics reminded the bishops that this table was not theirs, but belonged to Jesus Christ. And if Jesus was willing to invite Judas to his table, then who are we to disinvite anyone? It's easy to point our fingers at others, right? But all too often... All of us take some comfort in excluding other people, in picking or choosing who is in and who is out. Of course, we nearly always start from the position of determining that we are certainly in. Which is why the practice of the sacraments continues to be just as important today as it was in those first days that were recorded in Acts because nothing includes people faster than inviting them to fully participate in the rituals of the family and few things better assure someone that they really belong than gifting them with a precious heirloom and that is why that is what one that is one of the ways that the sacraments functions in our church life today They are radical rituals of inclusion, and they are heirlooms to our shared family history. I want to ask you a question. Can you remember a time that you felt welcomed as an insider? I have several memories of being brought in from outside to the inside. Like the time when I was an international student living in England, and my friend Claire brought me to her family home to meet her parents and to show me the town that she grew up in. Or like the time when I was a young teenager, and my Aunt Barbara gave me pieces of her jewelry and took the time to explain to me the significance and meaning of each one. Or every summer when my grandmother would invite me to come and join her on the porch swing in her home in central Indiana to trim peas from her garden for the dinner that night. These feelings of inclusion and belonging, they've stuck with me over the years. And they have determined my allegiance. They have determined my affection. And they have made up my identity. Knowing that we truly belong that we are insiders, it's enough to change our life. It's enough to call 3,000 people to Christ. It's enough to open the doors of heaven to any who want to go. So my friends, this radical belonging That is preached by Jesus Christ, that is reiterated by Peter in our scripture for today, this radical sense of belonging. It is intended for you and for me. It is intended for our children, and it is intended for all of those who are far away. I don't think that the question is who is in and who is out, who is accepted, who is rejected. Which of us are in and belong and which of us don't? I think the question is much similar, much more simple than that. The question is, are you in? And who are you bringing in with you? Amen. Amen.